Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine right now, we're up to the episode called Honor Among Thieves. It is the 15th episode of the sixth season, aired on February 25th, 1998, written by Rene Echevarria, where a teleplay goes to him. Story credit goes to Philip Kim, directed by Alan Eastman. In this episode, O'Brien, working undercover for Starfleet Intelligence, infiltrates the Orion Syndicate, the Alpha Quadrant's main organized crime ring, and befriends the man that he will have to betray. We're joined by Clay, the man that I will never betray. Clay, how are you? <laughs> I watch your back. Um, <laughs> Unless you start good. selling some some shoddy Klingon rifles uh, around the place, I will be right there to get you. Uh, I'm good. I thought today was going to be a red letter day in uh, in the history of the podcast because I was 75 percent sure that the woman who played the alien. Hooker, I yep. guess. <laughs> yeah. I was 75% sure that was Charisma Carpenter, who played Cordelia on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I was wrong. It is not her, and I was very upset. Oh, a lot of references. I, was, I thought this was, I, I thought this was when the, 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 the two circles of that Venn diagram overlapped, and, uh, <laughs> it is not the case. Um, well, I guess we'll see, we'll have to see if the two circles of quality and uh, entertainment came together for Honor Among Thieves. <laughs> well, let's um, let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip, and then me and Claire are going to come back. We're going to break down Honor Among Thieves. Have some more cake. Well, no thanks. I thought you said you were hungry. Oh, I'm all right. What's the matter? Don't you like my wife's cake? Well, I didn't say that. So answer me. Do you like my wife's cake? To tell you the truth, it's a... It's a little dry. You're right, it is. <laughs> Had you wondering which way to jump, didn't I? <laughs> you know, Kroll and Flith, they always act as if it's the best thing they ever tasted. <laughs> hey, what do you make of that, Chester? I have found me an honest man. Must be my lucky day. All right, so here we go with a uh, a crime organized O'Brien must suffer <laughs> sort of episode. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a departed it's, space nine. Yeah, departed. You know, I this made me. Everyone mentions Donnie Brasco because that was the reference that came out when this episode came out. I think it was yeah. the the movie that would have been the most similar at that point. I mm-hmm. only think about the departed. And while I don't think The Departed is a good movie, um, I at least, knowing The Departed made me have an appreciation for why I think, I think this episode is actually fairly bad in a lot of ways. Like, it's it's <laughs> inoffensive, but I think that it just really misses the mark on virtually everything it's trying to do. And The Departed is a good point of reference for me because... Say what you will about the silliness of The Departed and, like, Nicholson's performance and the shots of the rats at the end and, like, being like, this is just kind of ridiculous. At least that movie made you feel that Leonardo DiCaprio was in some kind of danger the entire yeah. time that he was there. Yeah. And this doesn't do that. And I can understand maybe Star Trek doesn't want to have, like, O'Brien's life on the line where 
Jack Nicholson is sneaking up behind O'Brien as he's like smoking a cigarette and making like threatening moves towards him or whatever. But I don't think this episode does anything good with its content that like the, the idea doesn't land on any kind of like friendship thing. It doesn't land on being scared. It doesn't land on being like an undercover agent. It doesn't land on O'Brien having to make a choice. It doesn't land on family meaning anything. It all feels like it's just this waste of time that feels more like cliches were thrown together into a bowl mixed up and this is what came out of it. Yeah, it feels really undercooked. Um I you know, some of the stuff that they were doing I was kind of kind of interested in. Um <clears throat> the family thing was kind of interesting. Uh and, and like the the broad strokes of the uh, it's an it's a note card episode. It's get if you look at the note card uh set up for this, it's like okay, yeah, this would be pretty good. But the thing that that sets this apart from The Departed, aside from the fact that it has uh, The Departed has uh, higher quality, literally everything, um, <laughs> is that The Departed is also like two and a half hours long. So you have time to live with these characters and 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 really get into the relationships and stuff. So when stuff starts going screwy, um, it all feels a lot more impactful. Here, it's like the guy was his name Bilby. Bilby, yeah, Bilby. Um, he's like at the end when he tells him he's a when he tells him he's a cop. Basically, at the end, he's like, "I put all of my trust in you. I you were part of my family." And I'm like, "Dude, all you all you did was say the the one guy was like, who's this guy?'" And you're like, "Yeah, he's cool." Well, and that was like the the extent of their interaction and their like you know bonding was he bought him a suit and he told his boss that O'Brien was he was on the level and that was it. You know, I. I, I have, I think maybe a lot of my fundamental problem with this comes down to Bilby as a character who I, I do yeah. not understand what this character is doing or what he's about. Like, I, I spend the first 90% of the episode going like, are they like comically underwriting this guy to be just the worst criminal of all time? But then mm -hmm. at the end, the script acknowledges that he's bad at what he's doing. And so, you you end up in this weird place where the only thing I really like about the episode is the ending where I kind of like but that that O'Brien does this really dumbass thing and gets this guy killed in a damned if you do damned if you don't situation. Yeah. And I liked that, but getting it to that point, I never I never feel like the show is really sure whether or not Bilby's supposed to be threatening or if he's supposed to be a guy who's like down on his luck and just working for the mob and sort of this like right. we're just trying to make money for his family. They bring up this family thing every once in a while, but you never meet them. You never even see the O'Brien family. You never, but, you never ever have any kind of connection between them. But you do see a photograph for the first time like ever oh, on Star yeah. Trek. That's your point, yeah. You can't have a photograph on Star Trek unless it is surrounded by some really weird holofoil uh, frame or border, like the <laughs> photographs in Generations. They're normal photo photographs, except the edge of them is like off of a uh, <clears throat> upper deck subset card from 1993. <laughs> nice foil reference right there. <laughs> um, that I, I think that, I think Bilby, I, I feel that there's a lot of ways you could go with the Bilby character, and they go right down the middle of all of them, and it ends up being like, well, what is he? Like, am I supposed to feel bad yeah. for him? Or am I not supposed to feel bad for him? He's a criminal who tortures and kills other criminals. So I'm like, oh, maybe he's supposed to be scary. But no, he's a good guy who marches off to his death and says family is the greatest thing. So I think it's just confused about it. Like, they needed to pick a lane for him and stick with it. And then O'Brien's decision makes a little bit more sense to me. 
Yeah, as I was watching it, I I even felt more like they were going for almost a Reservoir Dogs kind of feel yeah. as far as the Ka- relationship. Kytel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because Bilby felt a lot like Mister White, where he's not a top level guy; he's kind of mid level guy, um, and he just warms up to O'Brien, and you know, just they just become friends, and it was that sort of dynamic. But again, Reservoir Dogs is a two hour movie. Um, this is not, and it's not written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, so it's it's lacking in in a few areas. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, their relationship was just so non-existent because you also, I mean, another reason why Reservoir Dogs works is because the plot's pretty thin. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in like there's like three things you have to worry about, and then everything else just feeds off that. Yeah. Whereas this one, it's like they have to keep cutting back outside for O'Brien to meet with his handler. Uh, meets with him a whole f- bunch of times for yeah. how delicate a situation this is. He's meeting with yeah, him and, out in the public he constantly. Him, he meets him for the first time, like, just outside the door of yeah. the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Why, um, why'd they pick O'Brien for this? Why is O'Brien doing this mission? D- d- yeah, like, I, I thought it had something to do with the fact that he was good with ma- with machines or something, but uh, that didn't really seem to come... Well, it did come into play, but it wasn't like... There was something inherently needed for a engineering guy to tackle. It, it wasn't part of the um, plan. He, they didn't, Starfleet didn't send him in with the set him up with this little gizmo thing because the, his right. handler is impressed by his solution to the problem. There, he's like, "Oh, good, good thinking on that one." So they did. They, did, uh, they didn't pick an engineer just because they had an engineering problem. They they would have been better, honestly, with a Starfleet intelligence officer, right? Just don't tell them his name and send him in again. Maybe it was part of the inherent underlying racism of the Star Trek universe where they were like, well, we don't have any Italians on the ship. Uh, we don't have any Russians. We don't have any Japanese. We do have an Irishman. Close enough. He he screams organized crime. Send him in. Has anyone seen The Departed? Ever read the book? <laughs> we'll do something. Do you remember that, that, uh, that ancient film from 200 years ago, The Departed? Yeah, I... Um I don't know. I like I I watched this one and I thought it was inoffensive enough and everything. But then I, I really started like I really started getting annoyed. I I feel like I kind of went on a back and forth where I I was happy when Bilby sort of beat up the um the guy who s- screwed him on the guns and he kills that guy and I was like okay they're yeah. gonna they're gonna go in like the scary thing where O'Brien is out of his depth and over into deep and these are dangerous people. But then they immediately flip that back and Bilby yeah. like. This this all comes down to the whole thing about is about family, right? They're talking about their families who never see them. Why does Just O'Brien like the go run? Movies. Why does O'Brien go running into Bashir's arms at the end of this episode? Why does he not go <laughs> home to his family? They're talking yes. about family. Yeah, it, it should end with him with Keiko and his other two kids, whose names <laughs> I don't know, and he probably doesn't know either. Um, yeah, it, it's. Uh, this was a, an episode that was kind of weird for me because I, once it got going, um, kind of like the last one, I kind of, uh, actually, I would say even more than the last one because the last one at least had, you were taking the uh, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids thing and, and putting it into a, a sci-fi Star Trek thing, which doesn't, which allows you to do some fun stuff that isn't necessarily predictable. I found this one so predictable that I kind of wasn't paying attention 
at certain spots, but I still got everything. Right. Because like I, I was watching it and I was kind of doing something else. And then I was like, oh, okay, those two guys are arguing. I know what they're arguing about because this is the thing you argue about at this point in the story that they're doing. You know, it was that kind of thing where it's like, okay, this is the part where they think he's, you know, they're testing him. All right. Now the guys, you know, falling in line. It was very much, it felt like a note card episode where I could see the story beats because they were so traditional story beats to us to something like this. Yeah. And then you're coming into the end and it's like, obviously, okay, he's going into a trap. So he's going to tell him he's a cop. And then he's going to be like, oh, I trusted you. You and my brother. And then he's like, he's going to try and get him out of there. And then uh, he's going to say no. And uh, he's either going to be killed on screen or off screen. So <laughs> they, they went with the lower budget uh, option there, I think. What do you, what is this episode about to you? Like, I, I, I think it's kind of a fundamental problem. Like, I'm I'm really not sure what this is about other than putting O'Brien in a a situation where at the end he makes, he has no good option with what he does. Yeah. But I don't know if there's, there's nothing interesting about him getting to that point of having to make that decision that means anything. Like, it, it all feels very wishy-washy. And even if you say it's it's predictable and paint by the numbers, I don't feel like it ever stuck to a direction long enough throughout the no. the entire episode where I feel that the ending was earned in any kind of way. Yeah, I I, I, I agree with you totally there that they, they kind of didn't really uh, make a choice. But even in within scenes, it was kind of like, I know what this scene is just by looking at what's happening, not right. even having to pay attention, even if it didn't track with the rest of the story, oddly enough. Yeah. But as for what it's about, um, I think I think it's one of those ones that, that kind of gets saved by the last scene. Um, Cause I thought the scene with Bashir was pretty good. Uh, I don't exactly remember what they talk about, but it was him basically extrapolating out his actions and, and what it cost the other guy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. How, how bad he I, feels about it and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was good. Uh, and I think working backwards, that makes the previous scene better where he, you know, comes clean to him and they have that little, uh, you know, back and forth or whatnot. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that what they're doing in those last two scenes is really earned or, um, like, yeah, th- that theme doesn't really feel present through the rest of it. Is, uh, I mean, isn't it all, isn't it all kind of a problem about, the characterization of Bilby. Like, I think if you want to pay off the O'Brien decision at the end, Bilby has to be played much more as a down-on-his-luck guy who's kind of working for the mob for his family, which they hint at. But at the same time, he's also a... He's a... Like, he he, he comes across early like he's a sort of central mob figure. You know yes, what I mean? Like, yeah, he's not the yeah. main guy, but it feels like he's kind of an underboss in everything that's going on there. And I yeah. feel that the story works better if he is just kind of a grunt that O'Brien is taking advantage of to get into yeah. this organization. Yeah. And then, you know, through through that, he's just kind of a dumb guy who is trying to help his family. And he's talking about how his family's got no food and he has to do this for that. And then O'Brien, what O'Brien does at the end where he basically fucks him over with any decision this guy makes really lands. But he comes across as too much of an established criminal yeah. under figure, you know, like he's too... He's too powerful, even though he is not a the major boss. He's still running this um, team or this like family thing that he's got going. Yeah, that scene where where he shoots the dude who sold him the guns that should have been him handing the gun off to his boss, and the boss shoots him. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Because yeah, him shooting the 
him shooting the uh him shooting the guy who sold him the guns yeah makes him seem like a much bigger much more dangerous deal than he is portrayed as for the in, rest of at it. any point in the rest of the episode which is which is interesting because when it happened I thought it was a relief because I thought that they were going to go in that direction but they, yeah, it actually yeah. undoes what I think they were trying to do with it and I don't know why they yeah. had to make that decision I I also I I would I would say you could also go instead of down on his luck and like forced to work for the mob there's something kind of interesting to 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 take kind of like the Fredo the Fredo route and I don't mean like make him like a complete idiot but just have him be ju- just a guy who works for the mob and is just who's not feeling oppressed by it who also isn't like rising in the ranks he's just sort of there and he just enjoys kind of being a mobster and like doesn't take things super seriously so then when he gets stuck into this thing it's 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 almost like it's almost like you've you've you're killing a puppy you know what i mean right yeah i i i think the if you add the family aspect of he's in it for his job i think it just adds a little bit of pathos to that character like, i think so too yeah like yeah. i i think you need well that that's what i mean you don't twist. have to take that out i'm thinking like but it's more like uh it's more like the the mid-level guys and goodfellas who are just happy to be in the mob and they've got their family and they're making money and they're yes. just kind of like doing it not really thinking about the consequences like well, a guy like that but i think um for a show like this it does make more sense to just get to the heart of it as quickly as possible so yeah making him a guy who is, you know, down on his luck or whatever is probably the best way to go. Yeah, because, <laughs> as it stands, as you say, I think a big another big problem besides Bilby's sort of um, inconsistent characterization is just there's just no time to build this relationship. You you, and so the 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 thing because they have no time is that Bilby comes across like a complete moron. Like this this yeah. this crime syndicate seems like it's the worst run thing ever. And even the the script again brings attention to it because the Vorta goes, "Is that your security clearance? You just yes, check, yeah. you just ask him, is yeah. he okay?" <laughs> and so it feels like the script is really aware of it, but I, I think that's a bad thing for the script to be aware of it. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, I, I think that's all part of what you were saying about them not really picking a lane because it's either it's either a big deal and it's it's a very tense situation for O'Brien or it's not. Um, or I don't know what the I mean I feel you I feel like it should be a tense situation no matter what I don't know if uh, <clears throat> excuse me I don't know if if doing it that way was supposed to make it uh up the chance that the Vorta might do something you know I I I don't really know what the point of doing that was to make to make uh, you mean bring bringing the Vorta in at all or or what what do you mean no I'm pointing out that the the security oh, check is just like looking at him and going like yeah it seems good right um i don't know if the point was to be like if have the vorta pick up on the how shoddy that is and have the so make so then you have the possibility of the vorta doing something like being like well this seems kind of shoddy yeah take yep. him away you know that kind of thing um but I, I don't know. I don't know why they did that. It was it was very strange. I did like the joke of the Vorta being like, "Let me see who's the guilty guy," and he points to the wrong person. I, I, I thought yeah. I thought that was kind of that was a pretty decent uh, little bit of a joke. But it brings us into we've talked about the uh, uh, the episodic and serialized nature about like how if you sort of feel that it's lacking when the Dominion War isn't uh, a part of anything, and we've had two interesting episodes in a row with one little ship and then this one where. The Dominion are a part of what's going on here. Mm. This one feels to me like probably 
This is probably the worst insertion of the Dominion into an episode, I think, so yeah, far. Because I, pretty I don't understand what they're doing. Their plot makes very little sense to me that they're going to kill the Klingon that agrees with what they want to happen because they think he'll be a martyr at that point. Um, mm. I would suggest killing Gowron so the other guy can take his job, basically, and, yeah. and get them out of the alliance. So n- none of it feels very efficient. It, it doesn't feel like the Dominion would do this, like, wasting time messing around with this little, like, mobster family or anything like that. And right. I don't know. If the, this Vort is walking around with no Jim Hadar, it feels like that never really happens. And so it just felt very ham-fisted, as you said. Yeah, it was it was uh it was it was very much like uh you know how they make they have those movies now. I guess this has always been a thing, but uh you know how the Cloverfield franchise, quote unquote, is just movies that have a sci fi bent that they can't sell on their own, so they're like, What if we make it a Cloverfield movie? Right. They add it a reference like that, to where, add a reference to the monster or something, yeah. Yeah. It felt like that where it was like, We wanna do this crime uh mob thing, but it still has to be a Star Trek episode, so let's just make the Vorta one of the the heavies, you yeah. know? Um, I actually even was thinking the same thing. Like, up until they showed up, I, I, I reacted very positively when they showed up initially because I was like, oh, okay, at least this has something to do with uh, other stuff. Because up to that point, I was, th- I was thinking, you know, what the hell, what's going on? This is even worse than the last one as far as feeling removed from the the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah, and not to interrupt, but strangely, they have taken the chief engineer off the most important space station in the galaxy at this point yeah. for the Federation, and things are falling apart without him there, which is a, a weird, unresolved story that we get a, a B-plot of where everything is falling apart, but they never really have any, you know, there's no point to it. Yeah, why did they even do that? Who knows? I mean, there, I, I, I thought that was going to work into the rest of the plot somehow but it just was no shit is falling apart because o'brien's not here it was very strange <laughs> i interrupted you but yeah you were going with the um the point about that about like just wondering being excited when the vorta shows up yeah it was just uh it was the rest of the episode seemed so much like they just felt like doing a mob thing um that they had to figure out a way to crowbar it into the star trek story um and even uh um I did I did really like um that they went the route of the Miami Vice movie as far as resolving the thing about the double agent or whatever where they're like oh yeah we know who that is anyway um <laughs> on to the more important stuff which is the assassination of this guy you mean with the, <clears> the my when favorite. they reveal the uh, the Starfleet officer was the uh, the mole or whatever yeah the guy who was working the uh, I, so what I thought ori- uh, initially when they said that I thought it was going to go in a completely different direction because I thought they were making reference to the episode where Worf goes to Ryza. Yes. Yep. And <clears throat> Jesus, excuse me. Um, and I thought it was going to be like they were going to be implicating Worf or something like that because I, I thought maybe they were making reference that was that was a, a reference to to Worf. Gotcha. I remember yep. if there was a, a, a weather thing involved when he was there. Yeah, I was there thinking was, they right? were. Um, it has. It, it's not the role of that involved, guy. I was thinking of the that cult leader that Worf runs into there. I thought was involved, but that, that's not the case. They they make a very um, specific reference to Ryza that ties in exactly with the one thing we've seen from Ryza, yeah, which is a weird yeah. choice. Another weird choice. Yeah. Again, it just feels like tying it in for the sake of having to tie it in. Right. Yeah. 
you know i mean if you if you cut off if you cut out two or three minutes out of this it's just uh uh saturday night television on the bbc <laughs> an episode of um the bill or something right right what's um what's something you liked about the episode i think the acting is generally pretty good here yeah uh, i th- i thought uh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off well as much shit as i give call meany uh sometimes he, he's good as o'brien here i think everyone else is very good the um I think the guy's name is Michael Haney, who plays his uh, Starfleet handler guy, who's the warden from Orange is the New Black, and he's Steve the Drunk on Deadwood. Um, oh, okay. He's, ve- he's very good. Uh, he's an excellent actor. He's good here. Kind of a weird role to be in, but I think he does it effectively. And the guy who plays Bilby, I think if they had gone in the uh, Mr. White direction, as you were saying, I think he works well there, but yeah. he, he occasionally has these early on scenes where he has to play the heavy and it doesn't really work very well. Um, but other, other than that, I think the acting is fine. It's just, it's the, the acting isn't giving en- given enough room to breathe and the plot doesn't really know what it wants to have them act about. So everyone's kind of flailing for a little bit. Yeah. I think Cole Meany's good because this is the kind of thing he's used to doing. Right. <laughs> um, I feel like I've seen him more in stuff like this than I have anything else. Yeah. Aside from Star Trek. You know? Yes. This, this um, is his niche. Yeah. Uh yeah, overall I thought the acting was pretty good. Um the what I did I really really liked that opening matte painting shot of like the the weird alleyway with the train going by. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a cool thing we hadn't ever seen before. I thought that was good. My uh my favorite thing in the episode though, best line delivery in the whole episode. Uh a testament to doing a lot with very little. Is on Deep Space Nine when Dax and Worf are, are coming up in the in the elevator turbo lift or whatever, and it gets stuck, and Worf just is like, "The turbo lift is broken." <laughs> Great line reading. <laughs> very subtle, but very funny. It was very funny. And then uh, Dax gets out first and he helps Worf out, which I thought was a nice yes. touch yeah, to, to nice. get him out of there. I like to the. Um, I've never re- related to O'Brien so much as when he has to say goodbye to the hooker very like awkwardly and, <laughs> and sweetly where he's like, well, it was nice meeting you. I, I've never, I've never uh, required the services of a prostitute, but I imagine I would say something equally stupid as it was nice meeting you when, uh, when you, when you go your separate ways or something, but it, it was yeah, just, is, a- it, is that, is it more or less awkward than, uh, what is it? What does Clint Eastwood's character say in Unforgiven when he's like, I've never wanted to have a prostitute, but I guess if I did want one, it would be you. <laughs> yes. If I did have to knock boots as someone not my wife, I'd be choosing you or whatever that always says. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, the, the prostitute scene kind of feels that like it, it almost feels. My other favorite thing is that there's a ceiling fan in this episode, which is repeatedly shown to me in shot. But, um, you know, it's a kind of episode that actually they they kind of feel like they're going in a lot of joking ways. Like it feels like they're yeah. poking fun at the mobster movie thing, and but not as not as deliberately as they have in the past, right? And it's not the episode for poking fun, I don't think. So it, yeah. it's kind of a confused tone about what they want to do with it. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think that's I think tonally that's the biggest. You know, it's I I do think it is one of those things though where it's like if you are not paying close attention and that stuff isn't popping out to you it's fine Mm. you know like i was saying as i was watching it there were parts where i was not paying immediate attention and it all seemed you know above board as far as like oh yeah okay he's in a mob situation i get what's going on 
Um, but yeah, once you get into it and you start looking at it, you're like, yeah, this doesn't really hang together as well as, as it should. Yeah. So and and it's not even really like it's another thing where it's like not even really a plot thing because the stuff that's happening is so archety- archetypal, archetypal, archetypal. Yeah, uh, yeah. That um, the d- the details don't really matter because what what you're getting is still guy goes undercover, befriends bad guy, uh, bad guy sticks his neck out for the good guy that comes right back to bite him when he finds out he's a cop. You know, right? Yeah. I um I'd agree with that. It's 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 archetypal, but for like they they don't they just don't get it right to land that ending. I, I think that this is um you you'd mentioned it before, but this is an episode that the ending could really do a lot of work to save the entire yeah. process, I think. And yeah. it's it's almost there. The 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 strongest example I can think of is um the episode where Odo finds the baby changeling and it dies at the end. Yeah, like, and we thought that that was an ending that was like profound enough where the the mediocrity of the rest of the episode was kind of like elevated by that moment where he, where that right. happens. This kind of had that opportunity, but even just the even just the way the guy walks out, he's like, "Well, see ya," and he just walks out the sliding door and off to his fate. Is like, I, I just don't feel that it works very well, and it's it's well, too bad because here I go off to die, off to, off to die. It's my time. You got kids, O'Brien? <laughs> I do. I do. They are the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, and, and then we don't yeah, see, like, cause don't he's see a, the family. Yeah, the family thing is like he doesn't even, they don't even really lean into it that much. It's like, yeah, he's got a picture of them on his table. Right. That's yeah. about it. Yep. And that's why he's, that's why he's going off to die for his kids or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's unfortunate. It's, um, would you say that this fits into the, uh, the trope of O'Brien must suffer? In his episodes? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because yeah, he's, you know, more mental than physical, but yeah. yes. He's mentally anguished by the end of it. Um, it would be it would be even better if at the end, Bashir ran down. If O'Brien was like, well, you know, I'm going to have to live with this, but it was a choice that I had to make. And then Bashir's like, yeah, but it's really too bad, all the awful things they did to him before they killed him. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, oh, you didn't hear? Well, get a pen. When the, when the Orion Syndicate kills someone, they really, really yeah. kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, good old O'Brien. Oh, Hamilton. you didn't hear? They killed his whole family. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the other. I mean, maybe that's the other the other point of this. Like, if you're going to focus on that being the end, well, I guess it's bad. Like, there, there's a thing about you don't want to wallow, I guess, in what O'Brien did, but it like. Does the show think that O'Brien was acting heroically, or do you think that they don't? I would argue that maybe they don't play up the fact that O'Brien made a mistake here. Maybe they do. It's hard to say. Like I, what I think, I think that what O'Brien did was so remarkably stupid, down to the line of like where his handler is saying, "Like, listen, buddy, get a grip. Like, what are you talking about? You're going to go save this guy. Like, we we got we got things going on." And then O'Brien yeah. knocks him out, runs in, tells this guy that he's going to die. And then gives him no out to get out of it. And then at the end, O'Brien is kind of musing about like, oh, that was, gee, that was too bad. But I feel he really made a bad decision. Like, this is a terrible decision that he did to his friend. And he doesn't seem, he didn't seem intelligent enough in the moment to recognize. And I don't know if that's a problem for a show like this where our heroes are kind of elevated that way. Well, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if it's necessarily, um, I don't think they're celebrating it, but I also think the, 
the stupidness of the decision is probably due to the fact that that was just the scene that had to happen. You know what I mean? Right. Like that, 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 on on the note card, that was the last scene that they had to have is when he tells him he's a cop. Right. You know, so I, I think sometimes you get stuck with that stuff where it's like, well, you have to fill in these blanks, even if the way you get there doesn't really work totally. And it's kind of silly. I mean, does it fix it if Starfleet, if Starfleet's <laughs> intentions are more nefarious than I think they actually are in this? Is it helpful? Yeah, probably a little bit. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. It's... I think a lot of it comes down to you're really trying to sell this O'Brien caring about this guy and you, you don't just really don't. get a reason to care about him. Yeah, yeah. That's a good enough point to uh, to go out on. We'll, we'll play an audio clip and uh, we're going to come back. Unless you have kids and then it all comes together. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the picture of mine right now and their tinfoil top ge- <laughs> top tops cards uh, foil packet. We're going to take a break. I'm going to play an audio clip. Me and Cleo come back. We'll read some patron thoughts and then give our final thoughts about Honor Among Thieves. I'll never forget the look in his face when he found out who I really was. Well, you took an enormous risk by telling him he could have killed you. I knew he wouldn't. Well, all I can say is that you're lucky that Chadwick decided not to put everything in his report. Julian, you don't understand what I'm trying to tell you. Bill B trusted me. He put his life in my hands, and I killed him, just as surely as if I pulled that trigger myself. That's not fair. You know it. You did what you had to do. Your duty. Is that what I'm supposed to tell myself? All right, everybody. So, we're back. If you enjoyed the content today, you can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month and you get extra stuff, you get extra podcasts, you get all the live streams that we do. We can play trivia sometimes, we do that occasionally. Uh, and also, the captains get a shout-out at this point. So, special thanks go to Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Bradley Killens, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, David Kay, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Rick, uh, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santos, Sean Spinobi, Stephen Cobb, Tark Latif and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the channel and the show, all that stuff. So, Clay, let's get into our uh, patron thoughts about Honor Among Thieves. Support the show on Patreon. You can also leave your thoughts, and we read them. There's five of them, I think, unless people used Honor in a uh, sentence at some point. Zam Nuclear Wessel says, Honor Among Thieves, cliche though it would be, part of me wants so much for O'Brien's contact to be the traitor. But since this story's best quality is its simplicity, I guess it's just as well that they don't go there. Yeah, that I think opens it up too much past what they're trying to do, you know? Because, like, even, like I said, the, the traitor thing is such an afterthought anyway, because it's not what the story's about. Yeah, yeah. And it um it certainly opens he, up Starfleet. I, he obviously doesn't have kids. Right. <laughs> or a family. Kyle Barrett says... I enjoy the rare chances to see the criminal elements of the Star Trek universe, and this is a fun yet generic story. However, it falls apart a little at the end a little bit because I don't buy Bilby's final actions or that Chadwick would omit O'Brien striking him from the record. But whether he's a member of Starfleet Intelligence or a racist masturbating on a horse's leg, Michael Harney is great in everything. Colomini strokes a cat like he's never stroked a cat before in his life. If you hadn't mentioned the thing about Deadwood, that, that would have <laughs> really stood out to me as a weird thing to say. I don't know if that's like... Uh, European colloquialism, I just don't know. But um, 
<laughs> I understand it now. Thank you for preparing me for that. No worries. Colomini <clears throat> uh, strokes a cat like he's never stroked a cat before in his life, and this episode maybe does one thing better than all the others. It has civilian clothing that doesn't look terrible. It's a good I point. was going to say that. Kyle clearly has a family. He gets it. <laughs> um, I, th- it was I was when they when they were like we're gonna get you a nice suit and then they cut him in the suit. I was like, there's a seventy five percent chance that he looks ridiculous, but he looked good. No, no, that's a good looking suit. Look at this yeah. guy. Look at this guy in his suit. Yeah, no, they did. Uh, they did a good job. It's um, although you know we're so we're like one hundred and fifty billion episodes into DS nine at this point. Um, I'll say it again. I've said it numerous numerous times. DS9 probably would have benefited from a remaster more than TNG yeah, did. It's, it's very dark. It's so dark and muddy. Everything yeah. is so dark and muddy. And these episodes would just be, a, you know, it, it, you're just looking at like brown blurs moving around on the screen yeah. a lot of the time. It's really just not very pleasant to look at. You know, I would be curious to, um, just for the sake of comparison, because I don't remember, because I never watched it at the time, I would love to know what these episodes look like on an a, a, a of the time television because yeah, like they don't yeah. look good on HD television. I can't imagine they look great on old televisions. Yeah, yeah, it, it's too bad because you know, I watched the documentary where they have the remaster. They did a little bit of remastered footage for the documentary, yes. and it looks good. It's like the the thing the thing that you probably you miss out on. You know the sort of architecture of the station and everything like that, and these dark episodes where everything's like hiding in a cave or like some seedy underbelly criminal lair where you can't see anything. But the um, I think the people who suffer the most actually are the costume designers from this mm-hmm. era, where uh, Quark's costumes are intricate. His clothing, yeah, they really are. Yeah, they're very, very intricate, and you don't get an every, appreciation. Every episode is a different sequel to Castlevania for him, right? <laughs> He's he's got a different ascot on with like studded with jewels around his neck, and he's like he wears these like fancy vests with a lot of like decoration on them and stuff, and you you just kind of miss out on it. It's too bad. Yeah, yeah. Samuel S says, "Honor among thieves," a crap episode that does nothing but give us forty five minutes of explanation about why O'Brien now has a cat, and I hate cats. Well, I didn't even Clearly, realize that the cat. You also six- don't have a family. He does not have a. This cat does not have kittens either. Needless to say, I really dislike this episode. O'Brien's arc makes no sense, and I find Bilby completely and totally unsympathetic. This man was willing to let the Dominion conquer the Alpha Quadrant, and I'm supposed to feel bad for him. There's no reason O'Brien should care about him other than the cliché that the bad guy has a family, too. No, just no. It's a one out of five for me. Like, wouldn't it have also been interesting or something if Bilby didn't know what was going on? Like, if... O'Brien recognizes the Vorta and knows what they mean, but Bilby's just like, yeah, you know, well, he's just another guy we work with. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's what that's what I mean as far as him being, like, sort of oblivious to stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't even know if they recognize the Vorta. I don't remember them mentioning anything about them. Um, the only mention of Vorta I remember is O'Brien says it to the Starfleet handler guy. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Matt Ross says, Deep Space Noir, Donnie Brasco. Once you get past the bizarre idea that only Chief O'Brien out of all of Starfleet is needed for this undercover work, then it's Donnie Brasco. It's sort of fun only for the interplay between O'Brien and Bilby. If you think about the Dominion plan, which involves killing the disgraced Klingon ambassador on a backwater to make that side that hates the Alliance overthrow those in power seems a little bit of a stretch. The whole idea that Starfleet operative leaving from... The whole the whole idea of a Starfleet operative leaving for money throws the idea that there is no money around on its head. It feels that this could have been an earlier season. In an earlier season, the one takeaway was learning that the actor for Bilby, Nick Tate, is Alan Carter from Space 1999. 
you he really loves that show. As he, as he mentioned, Space Nine. <laughs> Constantly. I've, I've never heard of it before. I don't know what it is. Uh, let's see here. Neil Brennan. Was, uh, from what I remember, it was a sci-fi show on Fox, I think, um, in the mid-90s, and came with every connotation that, that that brings up in your mind. Okay. Everywhere you are. Neil Brennan says, Honor Among Thieves, strong homoerotic vibes elevate this one for me. What I wouldn't give for a hug between Bashir and Miles at the end. I really, really, really like this one. Oh, I forgot about I didn't even think about that part. I was just thinking about when Bilby was like, wait a minute. You not like girls? <laughs> That's the, um, yeah, like, the besides being sort of uh, un-PC at this point, that, like, whenever things like that pop up again, th- that's a, that is just kind of a strange... That scene was strange just because I think that the, you know, it's another confused thing about the Bilby character where if you're trying to ingratiate us with this character, that seems like the wrong act for him to have. Mm. And his like whole approach to it was too, too chummy. It's almost like he bought this, the services of this woman for O'Brien and he doesn't understand what that means is about to happen. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's just, it was just an, a weird way to play it. So, uh, I'm leave you here and then you two can. Play cards or whatever men and women do. <laughs> um, uh, we also didn't talk about, uh, let's just wrap it up with, um, robbing banks in the 24th century seems easy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you put a little. It's a lot less, it's a lot less, uh, exciting to watch than it was in the 30s, too. Yeah. It's like, you know, they're busting into a place and telling everybody to put their hands up and put all the money in the bag. You know, it's, you, you, you don't get, Patrick Swayze in a in a president's mask jumping across a uh, uh, jumping across the bank teller thing. No, uh, you just get O'Brien basically playing a video game. Yeah, it's like a side mission from Arkham Asylum. Anytime you have to like dial in a radio signal. Yeah, he's he's um, he's basically like helping a blind person play the game. Essentially, he's like, no, spin it, spin it around the other way, the other way. You're almost there. You're almost there. And he, yeah, it works. Yeah, he's doing my favorite thing, which is when someone else tries to tell you what to do while you're playing a video game, which I don't understand. It's the most annoying, one of the more annoying ticks people have. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's for some reason, it's a, like a loss of control on their part and they can't stand to see you taking a long time to figure it out. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, Clay, I, like I've told you a million times, the only way to get the Tetris is to have the long piece go down the side. You can't do anything I else. I have it's my only- own style of play, Wes, okay? <laughs> I like to I like to bank I like to bank my long ones and I'll use the L pieces to my advantage. So back off. Back off. That's Tetris. That's a little Tetris a little Tetris comedy for people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Patrons, thank you very much for uh supporting the show. But yeah, I do um I'm trying to think if I know anyone who who does I think uh Sean Cordy does that a little bit, I think. He like he likes to tell people uh how to like, play those games. The um I remember not, that he's not too bad, but yeah, sometimes. I remember that group was um that horror game. Do you remember that horror? Alan, not Alan Wake. The um oh uh, the choose your own adventure. Yeah, until yeah. dawn. Yeah, yeah. I think I I, I think I'm, I'm I think I'm only remembering that because I came in late while they were playing it and they had already gone through the game, so they knew all the options, and so people were um trying to go in directions that no one had ever gone before, and it was just like I don't know anything about this game. I want to see the deaths. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, a fun game. Let's see here. It is pretty good. Um, 
We're done with patron comments, I think. I believe that's it. We are done. Thank you, patrons, for writing in, leaving your thoughts about uh, Honor Among Thieves. Clay, what are you going to give this yes. one on our scale of one to five? Mm, probably high two. High two. Yeah. I think That's I'm going to... Yeah. I'm, 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 <laughs> I thought you were going to come with a uh, another three at this point, but... I think I think I'm going to give it a, a two. I think yeah. at this point, um, and I don't think I'm being just cynical about the sort of middling episodes. I think this one just has some problems with it. Uh, you know, oddly enough, though, I I was thinking about giving it a three, but then I uh, after we talked about it, I backed off because I actually liked what they were trying to do here more than I did in the last one because the last one just felt like, uh, you know adventure a story for the sake of a story like there wasn't really anything too meaty in it well and I, this one it, yeah at I'd least say they that, were uh, kind of going for something even if they completely whiffed on it i'd say that the the concept of this one feels more ds9 than the one little ship concept which yeah, doesn't yeah. feel very much like a ds9 episode uh to have that kind of like fun zany adventure thing going on yeah this one with it's like you know, attempts to do this kind of um, criminal thing and, you know, Shades of Grey or like O'Brien making the wrong decision and having to deal with the ramifications of it. That feels very much like a DS9 kind of story to tell, but they I don't think they do it very well. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I'm going to give it a two as well. Um, I don't think it's very good. It would certainly not make any kind of uh, any kind of top ten list for the season or anything like that. It's it's too bad. I, I continue to be a little bit unimpressed with O'Brien in this series. Um, I think I mentioned this on the discord. I think O'Brien in TNG was perfect and I don't Mm. think he's perfect in DS nine. Interestingly. Yeah. He, um, I think they find really interesting things to do with him. Few and far between. Um, I'm thinking mostly of his like specific episode, like an an O'Brien episode, um, have always kind of been underwhelming for me. Like he, he works well as the, side character and he works yes, well paired yeah. with Bashir and everything yeah, like that yeah. but he feels like the kind of character that when when they don't know who should have this plot line they give it yes, to him yeah yeah I, I mean i was thinking about that when you're saying why did they pick o'brien and i was thinking well who who else are they gonna pick oh i you think know? Bashir is the better choice for this because of his intelligence thing like yeah, that, that's that, true that feels yeah. like starfleet would come after him say you hyper intelligent guy like we need you to infiltrate this system or whatever yeah he's got no practical field knowledge though mm. you know i guess he could have fixed a cut or something i guess yeah one of the, one of the one of the guys would have to have like a terminal illness that he cures to save him or something at the end <laughs> but that i think that's the i think that's just the problem with the o'briens like they they made him the family man except his relationship with his family is terrible why is it that you a guy who's been coming to this bar every day for the past two weeks knows all about radical gene therapy. <laughs> well, I, 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 I don't know. I, I just don't know. We'll have uh, more chances. I picked chances. it up while I was in the service. We'll have more chances to talk about O'Brien coming up, I think. But he continues to be a confounding character, in my opinion. That's it, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, I think that's it. You can support the show on Patreon.com if you're so inclined. Patreon.com slash file. You can so, uh, click all the social media links down below and go to the websites, all that good stuff. And Clay, do you have anything you mm. want to say? 
What is today in the world of podcasting? Today's is, mon- today's Monday. Today's Monday. Then as of 12 noon today, my Kickstarter for my graphic novel Bloody Hell is live and you can find that at bloodyhell.com. That's bloody hell with 1 L B L O O D Y H E L.com. And uh yeah, you're going to want to hit that early cuz so there's some so there's some cool stuff that I think is going to be gone pretty quick as far as rewards go. So uh thanks in advance. And Clay doesn't have a family, so he'd really appreciate it if you guys No family. No family. So definitely check out Clay's uh, Kickstarter. It would be great if you guys could support uh, his endeavor right here. All you people. And if, you, if, you're, uh, if you're coming from the podcast, you know, let me know in the comments. I'd love to know uh, who, uh, who, who's donating that happens to be a listener. Yeah. Yeah. It's much appreciated. And, um, you know, if you don't support the show on Patreon, you don't want to do anything else, that's totally fine. Everyone is uh, free to do what you do. If you got any extra cash, I would suggest helping Clay out with his Kickstarter. It would be much appreciated. If you only like me that's and right. not so much Wes, you can just give it to me through the Kickstarter and just bypass him completely. <laughs> it's in the best uh, – it's for the best of both worlds, I think, there at that point. But, yeah, seriously, check out the Kickstarter. Support Clay. It's much appreciated. You guys have been uh, very generous with the podcast so far, and this is uh, one more thing that I think are well worth your hard-earned dollars, and I would highly recommend. So – We'll have a link to that down below, and I think that's it. We're done until next, until Thursday, when we come back with another episode, which is, I think it's the Dax and Worf Change of Hearts. Yeah, it's Change of Heart. So we'll be back with that. Is this one where one of them, they get body swapped? Like a Freaky Friday kind of situation? Yeah, I feel like any time they use Change of in a television show title, it means someone's getting their mind put into something else. Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll have to see. Uh, it might not be a mind, but we're certainly going to get something put into somebody. So let's uh, we'll talk about that in a couple of days. Guys, thank you very much for supporting the show. Check out Clay's Kickstarter, and we will see you later. 